I'm Sonia Morton Firth, and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today, my guest is Paul Mort, author, podcast host, speaker, and master coach. Is that we get so obsessed with how we don't want to feel that that's all we talk about. Most people don't even know how they want to feel, which means they can't create a strategy around how they want to feel. Paul built a successful business and moved to Spain, living the life of luxury. In 2014, he was diagnosed with bipolar and he was also four stone overweight, heavily on the booze and drugs. Finally, he hit rock bottom and found himself on the edge of a cliff, about to take his own life. This is what I mean by nobody wants to address the real fucking problem. I'm like, mate, stop fucking drinking. Stop sniffing so much gear. Stop smoking so much weed. Now Paul helps thousands of men get their shit together through his coaching and mentoring. Paul, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. I'm really excited to have a fellow Geordie. <laughs> Mate, I'm just, I just hope that we don't go into like full Geordie mode and nobody else can understand what we say. And I just go, why I, man? Why I? How <laughs> <laughs> are how are you? Um, look, Paul, you, you uh, are inspiring um, a whole nation of men. And what with being Mental Health Week last week, I was dying to get you on the show. Um, and look, I want to I get right into your history, how you got to the moment that changed your life. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get, get to that moment, I've actually been listening. I was going to say reading your book. I've been listening to your audible book which is fantastic. A little oh, plug, a little plug. Um, Paul Mort, How to, I Will Save Your Life. And in that, you talk about your early days, sorry, I'm going to laugh here, as, as being the <laughs> Mr. Motivator of the North. Can you take me back to those days? I can't, here's what's mad. Here's what's mad. In 2019, I spoke in an event in Barcelona and Mr. Motivator was actually one of the other speakers. <laughs> Isn't that mad? Yeah, Mr. Motivator was one of the other speakers. It was crazy, yeah, meet my hero. So yeah, back then I was, um, I ended up being a personal trainer because when I left school, I couldn't get, I couldn't do what I wanted to do because I only had two GCSEs, one in French and one in Spanish. And I only passed those because there was an oral exam. Oy, oy. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I only passed those because it was an oral exam, which meant that I couldn't get into college because you needed three GSCs. I didn't want to. I didn't want to resit them. So my dad got me a job in a factory. I got really fat. I discovered booze, women, and drugs. Got really fat. Got in shape again, um, and then I ended up becoming a, a, a personal trainer. And back then, I didn't have any clue about business. I mean, nobody else in my family is an entrepreneur. Nobody. My mom worked in ASDA for like 15 years. Before that, she she worked in a bar as a barmaid my dad worked in the same factory for 30 years so there was kind of no there was kind of no entrepreneurial background at all nobody had turned to for advice around about money really or how to handle it or how to handle success so i ended up building a pretty successful fitness thing um to the point where we kind of franchised it and then at that point i kind of didn't need to the business didn't rely on me being there, training people, counting people's reps, shouting at people, motivating people, Ging people up, etc. So I moved to, I ended up moving to Marbella. Beautiful place. Yeah. Lovely. Could practice yeah. Spanish there for us. It well. was everything I thought, it was everything I thought I ever wanted. The, the Spanish did come in handy, actually. Una the problem was, 
Yeah, the problem was I did not, I did not, I didn't know how to handle all that shit. I didn't know how to handle success. I didn't know how to handle being self-employed. Because let's face it, it gets lonely sometimes. Particularly if your peer group, you don't have the, the a peer group that gets it, that understands where you're coming from. So I ended up following kind of this whole personal development advice thing, which is like, oh, cut all the negative people from your life. And guess what? There was only me left. <laughs> I ended up in Marbella, just me and my wife. I didn't even fucking know anybody. So I ended up there, no friends, loads of money, loads of time, um, developed a pretty bad booze and drug problem, um, and then kind of ended up at rock bottom, despite so, having everything that I thought I ever wanted. So I was going to say, how did, you know, you just described what sounds like an amazing life you're there you're in spain you've got the money you built up successful business yet you you still turn to the booze you still turn yeah. to the drink you know a lot of people yeah. do yeah but what what really pushed you to that point of having that feeling of, of i guess not being successful or being unfulfilled yeah i think what i did was i'd, I'd give it i'd throw a couple of things in here so i kind of I sacrificed a lot of things to build that business. So I sacrificed friendships. I sacrificed relationships. I sacrificed my physical health. I sacrificed my mental health, all in the pursuit of what I thought I wanted. And when I got there, when I was 21, I, I, when I first started self-employed, that's mad that 20 years this year, self-employed. When I was 21, I thought I wanted this, the fucking four hour work week thing, the, the, the business that brings in residual income, not working that often, making loads of money, having the car, having the hot wife, having the two kids, having the four bedroom villa with a private pool. But I suppose when I got there, it felt very different to what I thought it would when I was 21. It's kind of like the way I describe it. And I describe it in my book like this is, it was kind of like I spent years climbing up this ladder of success, kicking people off, kicking my health off, mm -hmm. bleeding and sweating and crying and just hustling and grinding like you're supposed to. And then when I reached the top of the ladder, I was leaning against the wrong building. I was kind of like, is this it? Yeah. And then I suppose I kind of lost my sense of purpose, if you like. Like I was kind of like, and I spoke to Tyson Fury about this on my podcast and I spoke to a couple of other people who've reached... I interviewed James Haskell the other week as well about this. And it's kind of like when you reach what's supposedly the peak, it's kind of like, is this yeah, it? Like, what's next? Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of lost and stuck. And I, I, I'd created this kind of void of, I lacked a sense of purpose and I didn't have a mission anymore. And I didn't have an animal to hunt anymore. I'd kind of done it all. And then I just, I suppose I was a combination of burnt out from all the sacrifice and bored because I didn't know what else to do. So I drank to feel better. I sniffed Coke to feel better, to fill that void. And then obviously that just made everything worse. I mean, I, I completely resonate there because I was I was there about 10 years ago. I had a successful corporate career life in the city, earned mega bucks, flew around the world and woke up at the tender age of 40 going, now what, is this it, is this it? Yeah. But what I, but what you did is you, you took it a stage further and Paul, I just want to get, to that point where you're standing on that edge. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah. I'll let you describe that. How did so you- So in the August of, of 2014, or the May of 2014, my daughter was born in Spain. And for the, since the start of that year, I'd been really struggling. Do you know when it was kind of like a new, 
that I should do something about this drinking and the sniffing and the mood swings and all of that. But I didn't really do anything about it. I kind of knew it was a problem, but I kind of brushed it under the carpet. I'll be all right this week. This week's different. I'm never drinking again. Mondays, every Monday is like a New Year's Day. And in the May, my daughter was born. She's actually uh, seven. No, she's eight next Friday, which is mad. She's eight next Friday. So eight years ago, uh, Nina was born in, in Spain and we had a two-year-old at the time, Max. He's he's 11 next January, so he's 10 now. And there's me, there's my wife, there's a newborn and there's a two-year-old and there's me having these insane mood swings. Insane mood swings. And in the August, I was diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder, which is basically manic depression. Now, in Spain, they kind of didn't know how to deal with that. And I was with a private doctor so my wife was kind of at the end of a tether. Imagine this, she's got a two-year-old, a yeah. newborn, and she's putting up with my shit. And she's in a foreign country, you know, country. She's by- in a foreign country, no support, yeah. no no friendship circle, no support group, no support network, nothing. So like, right, right we've got to get it. It's a metal. She's a fucking savage. Yeah, she's a monster. So we move back home and... It gets a little bit better for her, but for me, I'm still all over the place. I mean, I haven't spoken to my friends for two years, my old friends for two years. The people that I do speak, it was easier to get hold of. It's easier to get hold of gear in South Shields than it is in Spain because I didn't really know anyone. I had one dealer in South Shields. There are hundreds. Yeah, hundreds of dealers. Easy for me to get hold of Coke. Easier for me to go to bars. Easier for me to hit up people and go out on the booze. So it kind of got worse. And then in the December of that year, I kind of reached, I used to disappear for three and four days at a time. And then December that year, it got to its worst point, December the 17th. I remember quite clearly it was, I ended up being like, right, I'm done here. There's got to be a way out of this. And the only way I could see out was by killing myself. And the people always ask me this, because I released a video in 2016 describing it. And it's had something like 6 million views or something. And I just... I just described how it felt. And one thing that I do get asked is, why was your wife there? Because I described the incidents. My, my wife was stood in front of me. Why was she there? Did you take her with you? I'm like, no, I didn't. I was so volatile at that time in my life. My wife didn't know what I was going to do. So almost every time I'd leave the house, she'd follow me. Because at that time, I'd either be going to the pub to get some coke or to just disappear for days on a bender. So she'd follow me this incident. And I, I remember... Um, something that she'd said to me, which she'd almost, and she, she describes this in my first book, where she's like, she was almost like, she almost, she didn't know whether I just let me do it because she could see how much pain I was in and how much I was suffering. And she said to me, think about the kids. And, and here's how anybody that's listening that's ever been this low will get this. When you're that low, there's no logic. There's zero logic. Logic was, of course the kids wouldn't be better off without me. But that was my, that was my belief pattern at the time. I was a nightmare to be around. I was awful to them. I was a shit dad, shit husband, shit friend. I had money, didn't give a fuck about it. Could have just burned the business to the ground and I would have still been okay. And she said to me, think about the kids then growing up as those kids with no to do that. And that was kind of the start of turning everything around for me. And then I met a lady called Donna, who was a, it was a, I was basically put on suicide watch. And I met a lady called Donna through that. So literally your wife pulled it, not, not physically pulled you away from the cliff, but her words. Yeah, pretty much. Pushed, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. She basically bundled me in a car. I think my car stayed in the car park for like two weeks or something. She bundled me in her car. And um, 
then I ended up on this suicide watch team where basically these these people come and fucking babysit you. And it was that bad that it was on Christmas Day. They were with me in my house. My wife and kids weren't even in the house because I was horrible to be around. They didn't want to, I didn't want to be around them. I wanted them, I wanted to be on my own. And, and what, I remember what? this. Sorry, go on. That's all right. I remember the suicide watch lady who was like, she, she was called Donna. She was a, what's called a community support worker. And she basically almost handed me my ass. She, she wore glasses, right? And she used to look at me over the top of her glasses like that. And I'd be like, fucking hell, yeah. This woman, bear in mind, by this time, I'd seen tons of shrinks, psychologists, psychotherapists, counselors, any kind of ist, I'd probably seen them at some mm. point. Right down to hypnotist, right? And I just dismissed them all. I was like, you can't fucking help me. And this lady called Donna basically used to look at me over the top of my glasses. And for the first time, I was like, this lady gets it. And she's not going to tolerate my bullshit. So what was different about Donna than all the other ists? That she you gave did? me tough love. She didn't try and mollycoddle me. She didn't try and pretend she understood it. She didn't try and read out of a journal. She didn't try and get me to keep a fucking mood diary. So I could remind myself of how shit I felt. She just kind of was like, Paul, I know what you're doing. I know you're drinking and sniffing every weekend. How the fuck do you expect to get better when you keep doing that? That was the, she never actually said that. But that was the vibe that I got from her. I remember one time she turned up on a Monday. She was kind of like, you've been drinking and sniffing all weekend, haven't you? I was like, I said, you look like shit. <laughs> and that was like, I was like, yeah, listen, maybe it is time for me to get a, a handle on this. Yeah. So that's quite interesting because a lot of people now, and I would love your views on it, you work with a lot of men, um, and a lot of people talk about this whole, either you've got to man up, yeah, man up, man up, or isn't it good to talk? Now, being a woman, being a woman, we love to talk, and, yep. and we do love to talk, and, and a woman can talk to a woman if, if I've got issues. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying women don't have mental health issues, but it's become very um, prevalent in men. And I know you work with a lot. Yeah. What, what are your views about this whole... So manning up is fucking bullshit. I'll start, right? Haddon Middleton on my podcast the other week, and he said it. I didn't say anything, but I, we've got to consider, and this is going to sound harsh, and it, in fact, it's going to sound harsh, man. I'm a puppet. Most men are fucked. So why would I want to man up? Most men are fat. Most men these days have tits. That's not normal, right? <laughs> Not hey, even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> most men, most men are are struggling. Most men are all over the place. So why would I want to man up? And again, that sounds harsh, but I've worked with thousands of men, thousands of them. Mm -hmm. So, and it's a, just an old school. The people that say that the most are usually the people that need the most help. Yeah. And I actually wrote an article for the Telegraph or the Independent, and it was about. My work, um, my my interview with Tyson, excuse me, Tyson Fury. Am I? Are you going to tell him to man up? The heavyweight champion of the world, that's gets in the ring with the baddest man on the planet. Yeah. Are you going to tell him to man up? It's not tough, and I think a better approach is, and I think this is what the people are trying to say when they say it: take responsibility. Take responsibility. You don't end up. I didn't end up in that position by mistake. It was through my decisions my actions, my thought processes, my habits, my behavior led me to that point. So but we're too quick as a society to blame everybody else, to blame our upbringing, to blame our past, to blame our parents, mm -hmm. to blame our ex, to blame our kids, to blame our town, to blame our business partner, 
know what I mean? That's that's for me the better approach than saying man up. And I think that's what people mean. I think it's with good intentions, but we're really trying to say, take responsibility. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's your fault or you're to blame. That's a, a different connotation. It's take responsibility, take charge. And then that's where the do first you, part. And then where do you draw the line from? It's good to talk. Let's just talk. Here's what I'll say. Talking, talking changes fuck all without action. There's a saying, and I think it's Bruce Lee that said it, which is, talking doesn't cook rice. <laughs> I love that. Talking doesn't cook rice. Now, here's what I mean by that. I remember watching a TV show, and it was Harry Redknapp, and there was a bunch of ex-footballers, and they all did this talking thing where they're talking about mental health, and I'm like, oh, great. And then they went out on the piss after. What era was that? <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I get it. Talking may be a kickstart, but what do I say? What am I supposed to say? Who do I say it to? What if they aren't ready to hear what I've got to say? What if they take it personally? What if they think it's their fault that I feel like that? Like, there's so many things that, like, men, we think we're going to be mollycoddled if we say something. We already feel like a burden when we're struggling. We already feel like a nightmare. Like, I don't want to be mollycoddled. And so talking can be good, but it's not the only thing. And that may not even be the issue. Do you think Nobody that, wants to address the real shit. Do you think that's why it's easier for, for men, if it is easier, to talk to men rather than, than women because they think they're going to mm. be mollycoddled? Because as a woman, what you want to do is we want to care and look after a man. Yeah. So yeah. we're probably going to greet a man that, that's got issues. With Sometimes I think that men are, and I, and I did it, I did it, I was on, there's a comedian called Russell Kane. I was on his podcast a couple of weeks ago and we talked about the difference between men and women. A lady called Anna Williamson was on this. She's a, she's a host of Celebs Go Dating or something. And we talked about the difference between men and women. We talked about rejection. We talked about stuff like that. And I said, the, the problem that men have is that we don't want to be mollycoddled by women, but we also don't want to be mocked by other men. This is what we're used to as men. This is why we're so good at pointing out our faults because our mates are very good at telling us. All in jest, apparently, and poking fun at each other. But guess what? That can become part of my identity. Yeah, if someone says something about me enough times, gives me a nickname, I'm going to take that on. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to take that on. So it's talking great. It's talking. It, it may be a start, but it's not. And, and again, this is, I didn't do anything. For, I kind of disappeared on World, World Mental Health Week. I disappeared. Why? Because I do this shit every day. Yeah. I don't need a week to talk about it. And I needed a rest. I was looking after my own, me own mental health. I did, I did nine days social media and email detox. I loved it. But it's, there's never been as much awareness around mental health. We don't need more awareness. We need more fucking solutions. More we don't need more awareness. Everybody knows about mental health. We need more action. Right. We, everyone, that, that's the message. Oh, awareness. <clears throat> I'm like, everybody knows. But guess what? The numbers are going up, not down. There's never been more support. There's never been more people or mediums to talk to people. Yet, nothing's changing. It's so, going up because nobody wants to address the real shit. So look, you addressed your shit because you were at that place going yeah. back to, to Donna and what really helped you through. So I know you, I know you did a lot of work in the personal development world. Yeah. 
Now, a lot of my views around that is it is a lot of talking and where does yes. the action come in? Yes. What were, what what really did it for you? What what helped you out that hole? Because one minute- A couple of things, and this is a great question. I love this question because it's practical. And I think this is what men are like. We're practical. Mm. You're almost like, what's the point in talking? What's that going to solve? No one's going to come and fucking save you, mate. This, I'm going to do, in fact, I might do this today. I've been meaning to do a video on this. I've seen an amazing cartoon the other week. And it was, you know, like a two, like where it's just two boxes, cartoons, like a meme kind of thing. Yeah. And the first one was a guy who's on, a, on an island, like a shipwreck. And out of the shipwreck, the wood, he'd put the word help on the island. And in the other picture, he built a raft. And I'm like, that is so indicative of this whole mental health thing. No one's going to come and fucking save you. You have to do the work. Even if you talk, it's great to have a shoulder to cry on. It's great to have somebody to give you counsel, to give you advice, to give you support. It's amazing that. It's important. But still, nobody's going to give up the booze for you. Nobody's going to stop sniffing coke for you. Nobody's going to stop smoking weed for you. Nobody's going to get to bed earlier for you. Nobody's going to exercise for you. Nobody's going to eat better for you. Nobody's going to meditate for you. Nobody's going to journal for you. You have to do all of that. Those are some examples. So the big thing that I've been trying to articulate recently, and it took me about five years to get around to this without trying to say that it's the only thing. But what I will say is that mental health needs physical support. It needs physical support. When you say physical support, what do you mean by that? I mean, you can't put diesel in a petrol engine and then wonder why the fucking thing won't start. You can't expect to feel great when you treat yourself like shit. And everyone talks about loving your body and all this kind of shit. I'm like, the best way to love your body is to fucking look after it. It's not to put shit in it. I mean, look, you, you talk, I mean, I'm a bodybuilder myself and I, mm. I'm, I, I'm, I don't need motivation. And that's the yeah. key thing. I don't need motivation to go to the gym because it's one of my highest values. Because you love it. There you go. Love you love it. it. Yeah. I love yeah. it because I know how it makes me feel and yeah. look. Let's, let's not get yeah. this wrong. I like the way yeah. it makes me look. Yeah. But how it makes me feel. Yeah. Is I cannot start my day properly without having exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that, again, this is what I mean by nobody wants to address the real fucking problem. I'm like, mate, stop fucking drinking. Stop sniffing so much gear. Stop smoking so much weed. Stop hanging out with fucking losers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Stop scrolling social media so much. There's so many things that I could put in as advice. So many things that I could give advice on. But my number one point here would be mental health needs physical support. Whether that's getting more sleep, whether that's drinking more fucking water, whether that's stopping smoking weed, stopping sniffing coke, getting outside and exercising, meditating. Do you know what I mean? All those simple things. And that's the thing with it. It's so simple that people think it can't be that simple. It's a start. It, again, it's like talking. It's not the only thing. What did you start with? What was your, what was the- first I started with not drinking and, or sniffing coke for 18 months. Was that, I mean, look, that can't be easy. Um, no. People say, you know, look, I, back in the day, I used to smoke. I've gone times without drinking before yeah. I did competitions. You know, we had a three month prep and yeah. couldn't touch yeah. the booze. And, and I, I found, I always found the first two weeks the hardest. And then yeah. you know, once you get over that big hurdle, then it's like, yeah. oh, I'm, I, I can do this. I think what I had to do, and I still do this now, is that people make it about not drinking or not sniffing coke or not smoking or not this. 
Um, what that means is for most of them, they still put energy in and not drinking. Your brain doesn't understand not drinking. It just understands the drinking part of it. So you have to put your energy into something else entirely. So for me at the time, it was boxing. Now it would be something like, although I tore my pec on boxing days and I had surgery eight weeks ago, so it's fucked. But it was jujitsu at the time. So instead of focusing on not drinking, where you're still putting your energy into drinking, yeah. You've got to take your energy somewhere completely different. So they almost forget about that. So for me, I think that the challenge that people have is they've got nothing they're working towards. So one of the things that I had to do was I had to start setting some targets, creating a mission, having a fucking animal to hunt. Most men these days have no sense of purpose. That's a big challenge for them. So I, I love that. And I know you do a lot of work around purpose, but mm-hmm. having spent a long time trying to find mine, yeah. how do you help your clients yeah. find their purpose because great it's question very, it's all very well and good going go out and find your purpose it's like yeah. not like going out and finding and, and i i see you see that all the time and i'm like <laughs> listen let's not get confused with i think that that people get so busy looking for what they were born to do i'm like stop looking for that purpose is just a sense it's a feeling in my opinion i'm like just create an animal to hunt, something that excites you, that you move towards, because it'll change over time. You know this, my values change over time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, just create, quite literally, I'm going to say this really in its most simple form. Create some targets to aim towards, to move forwards towards. What kind of design to move forwards? Um, our brain loves it when we make progress, so show it progress or it'll find problems it'll find problems that don't exist for most people. So for me, it's just about if we were having this conversation 12 months from today, what would have to have happened for you to be happy with your progress? And then work backwards from there. That's a sense of purpose, a mission, a fucking animal to hunt. We're supposed I love to that. I love that. that. I find an animal to hunt. Find an animal to fucking hunt. Sorry, vegans. Yeah. Find an animal to hunt. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. We're not supposed to wander through life from fucking drama to drama. That's what most people are doing. They're looking for drama because it gives them a sense of significance. Like, so create your own sense of significance by getting a fucking mission. I mean, that's quite interesting, a sense of significance. And, and like, you know, you, you talked about yourself being... Um, you know, Mr. Motivator in the North and being the center yeah. of attention. I can, yeah. I can tell you're a full yeah. extrovert on the scale. So you must seek your significance from, from the outside world yes. as well, as well. Yes, yes. So, and a lot of people, I think, like like yourself, and, and I, I'm a little bit like that as well, also can seek it from bad things like booze and, and drugs. You talk drama. about things, drama. How yeah. do you get rid of that sense of significance from all these things? Yeah, it's a great question. This it's a, I love this question, actually. So I'm going to give you an example. In about March time this year, I was looking, I looked on the internet for an article that I wrote years ago, right? It was on a website that I don't own anymore. It was this article and I couldn't find it. But what I did stumble upon was a forum where people had started a thread about me right? And it was all like, I hate his accent. I hate the way he talks. He's, he's getting carried away with himself. He's got such is, a big ego. Where is this forum? Oh, no. And it was, and it was, he's got such a big ego. He's egotistical, et cetera, et cetera. It's just loads of people just talking smack. Now I've got two options there. I can get pissed off with it or I can understand why they are doing it. 
They're doing it just to, because they want to feel significant. They want to feel better. But it's in a way that they think serves them. And we just all get that feeling of significance from anywhere we want. So for me, it's like, I'm not going to be able to right now, the way I find my significance is with service, mm -hmm. with delivering value to people's lives, with helping people solve problems, with hopefully inspiring people to do more and be more. Some people get that from somewhere else and that's okay until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's okay. So for me, everybody is doing their best to feel better. So for me back then, back in 2014, I, I felt better by drinking and sniffing gear. And then I found something else. The first time I started boxing sparring, I was 36. 36 years old, I started boxing. I replaced sniffing coke with boxing. Later on, I found jujitsu. So I still get the same feeling that I get. I clearly value the feeling of having high energy. I clearly value that, which is why I, that was the only way I knew how to fill that void. And then I just found a better way. And then I found a better way. And then I found a better way again. So it's kind of like goes back to Dr. John's uh, values thing. I know what I value now. So what were your key values when we were talking about Dr. John Demartini, who's, uh, yeah. who certainly changed my life. He's got some, uh, some great, I mean, we're talking about the personal development world, and there's yeah, his. You know what's <laughs> mad? You know, uh, you know what's mad talking about this. His event, the breakthrough experience, was yeah. the last yeah. live event I went to, which was in February 2020, and so I lost my passport. That's how I remember the last I, live event. I had him on stage, so I used to run one of the largest um, personal development groups in the UK, and I had him on stage. Oh, see. Yeah. in london in february 2020 and really? that's the last live event we did oh man i miss them so much oh so do i absolutely i was just there's a guy there's a friend of mine called nick james he runs this big thing yes. called expert empires he's at gary v over that and i had it i was talking to him this morning and i was like mate you have to do a live event soon because i'm fucking desperate for someone to open one up yeah i'm actually just about to announce one this week in fact i'll announce it right now when are you putting this out I'm putting it out on Monday, but go on, let's, we'll have a bit of a It'll be out before world. Monday. So, so we are, um, my agents booked the Time Theatre <gasps> for me to do a live gig, a live. Uh, I'm coming. Yeah, yeah live <laughs> event. Yeah. That's, for me, that's terrifying, by the way, because it's a big, it's a, but it fulfills my highest value, which is um, performing, speaking, serving, teaching, training. Being a center of attention, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get over that, though? Being a center of intent, attention and wanting significance, because I looked at that. Yeah. And also the feeling of, of contributing, because one, yes. is, one you can see is potentially quite egotistical. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's only egotistical, really, if I make it only about me. If I make it more what I call ethnocentric, which means I make it about serving other people. That's how I drop the egotistical part of it. That's how I'm not, I don't get triggered by criticism. And I get a lot. I get people, tell, I get someone telling me to kill myself probably every other day. Someone sends me a DM or comments on that video with a cl cliff, excuse me, comments on that video with a cliff saying you should have jumped. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. It's mad. But I don't get triggered by it. I don't get upset by it. I don't get hurt by it because I know that isn't about me. No. And I do have a lot, a large ego. Or more, uh, it's actually a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Um, 
But because if I was egotistical, I'd get offended by that. I'd I'd want to fight them. I'd give I'd give us I'd give back. I'd call those people out for the for the on the forum. I'd get involved in arguments and try and defend myself. But if I make it about other people and bless them, these people who are who are going after me and telling me I should have killed myself. Imagine how pain that how much pain they must be in. Do you, do you ever reach out to them and say, look, if you need, if you need any? Sometimes I ask them. Sometimes I just say, I hope you're okay. I get so many. I get about 400 DMs. I struggle to keep up with my DMs, if I'm honest. Um, so I, uh, usually I'll just be like, I hope you're okay. Every so often, by the way, I've got no problem admitting this. I will tell someone to fuck off. Because part of me is like, do you know what? It's not okay to say that. Well, it isn't. It isn't. It's and not okay. Because everyone, oh, you should put up with it. You should. Do you know what? In your position, you should be expect to get criticism. I'm like, yeah, but that. What if you? My wife was fuming with that forum thing, because she was like, Paul, I'm not pissed off. Because what they said about you, I was like, okay. She said, because you've got the tools and you know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What if they've set up that forum about somebody that doesn't have the tools and the experience yeah. that you've got? Yeah. There's people killing themselves over this. Well, so part of me is like, do you know what? Maybe. They're in pain. They're just trying their best. They're trying to feel significant, so I'm okay with it. But then another part of me is like, do you know what? It's not okay to come and take a shit on my front garden. It's not okay that. It's not okay to tell somebody else's dad that they should have killed themselves. Mm-hmm. You've got kids in your profile picture. Okay. You've just told me, I've got two kids. You just told me that. Part of me, so it's, a, it's quite a hard balance. Mm-hmm. But it's quite a hard balance. That. So every so often I'm just like, mate, that's not okay. Yeah. Just so you know, that is not okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, and it's, what, what you said there is actually quite relevant because you can't have a good day. You can't be top of the world, Mr. Paul Moore, fantastic, motivated, inspirational 24-7. You must have your down days. You've just mentioned the criticism that comes yeah. in. Yeah. How do you go from those damn moments when you were like rock bottom, you're, you're feeling like, a, I don't know, a, on the scale of a level two, how yeah. do you go back up, back up, I'm not going to say to a 10, but even getting yeah. back to an eight, how do you, how do you <laughs> lift yourself up? Because For me, I have less, I have less, it, it's all about energy, really. That's all that is. And it's all about state. So my state is, is really, for me, two massive things. One, my physiology. So basically, that's my physical health. And again, that's going to go up and down depending on my sleep, what my diet's been like, whether I'm injured or not, whether I can do what I love to do. And two, what I'm focused on. So whenever I'm at a two out of 10, it means one or two things. One, my physiology is low. So I basically need to raise my physiology. That could be through going for a walk. It could be through training. It could be through some breathing exercise. It could be through having a sauna, meditating, meditating. what else was I going to call shower? I love the cold therapy shit. I love all of that. Right. That could raise my physiology. But the second point that doesn't really matter if I am focused on things that make me feel like shit. So I've got to be able to shift my attention onto things that make me feel an eight out of 10. So that's about asking better questions. Mm. What's going well for me right now? What am I excited about right now? Who do I need to show up and have a positive impact on today? But the, the days where I'm feeling like that, get less and less because I don't try and force myself to do shit that I hate all the time. And And if I do start to dislike the things that I value highly, it's always because I'm arguing with my physiology. So I had to take those nine days off because I had a little bug and I couldn't shake it off and I was sweating all the time and I was, I couldn't sleep and I was tired. So I just took time off because I started dreading and not looking forward to the things that I would normally love. 
And that's a sign that my physiology is not quite right. And everything that I was doing to try and raise it just wasn't working. So I just took a rest. And you can notice that in you, right? And I, um, and I think that's, that is about awareness. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to be watching this going, well, it's all right for you to say that. You know what to do when you've got that little tip. Yeah. But yeah. you know, there's, there's thousands of us and uh, millions of us that have all been through this pandemic. And, and yeah. you've probably just got to touch on it. Yeah. Um, that are sitting there, gone through COVID, they're, they're, they're financially, they're down, they've yeah. been locked up. Yeah. They don't have the tools. Actually, it's easier to turn to a nice glass of wine or, yeah, a, or a bottle of beer or whatever. Convenient, convenient, cheap, simple. Yeah, ring, your, ring your dealer, whatever it may be. Those are yeah. all easy things that I yeah. think this country probably has done. It's just yeah. been like not talked yeah. about because we haven't been able to get out. So what would you yeah. say to those people that are, are I see the... in, in that hole that yeah. like, actually just can't physically... Yeah. Out and actually, the, more the government has said, "Well, stay in." <laughs> They're like, yeah. well, "I've got an excuse now." I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So, this was a challenge that I had at the start of the lockdown, 2020. I actually drank for two weeks in a row, and I hadn't done that for five years. Two weeks in a row, I drank. Mm -hmm. Two Fridays in a row. I remember, it was the 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 first of May and the eighth of May. Drank two weeks in a row. Never done that for such a long time. And what I realized was that. Normally on a Friday night, I would be training jujitsu or boxing or on a Saturday morning. I'll have No, actually, Friday night, we had more family Friday. We'd always go and do something, whether that was bowling, the cinema, uh, rock climbing, um, to the beach, to the fair, or something like that. We'd always do something like that on a Friday. We'd always have this something to get to look forward to on a Friday. Yeah. And then on a Saturday morning, I'll always have jujitsu or training or boxing or something like that. Suddenly that was gone. And I didn't have anything else to look forward to. I didn't have anything else to get excited about on a Friday or a Saturday. So I, I handled that quite quickly. But I think the thing that people struggled with the most in lockdown was actually where their attention was. They were focused on what they couldn't do, which is never going to make you feel good. So they were focused on what they couldn't do, felt like shit, and then they wanted to feel better, so they drank. Or the text of the dealer. Or the smoked weed. Or they ate shit. Some people went the opposite to that, though. And they instead focused on what they could do. And I think the biggest focus is, and this is what people don't get, is that we get so obsessed with how we don't want to feel that that's all we talk about. Most people don't even know how they want to feel, which means they can't create a strategy around how they want to feel. So they end up just doing what they can to feel better. And that's okay, again, until it's not. So I think if I was if I was talking to someone that's struggling right now, the first thing I'd say to them is, well, how do you want to feel? And people can't answer the question. And they come back with, well, I don't want to feel like this. I was like, that's not what I asked you. Mm -hmm. That's like getting in a taxi. The taxi driver saying, where do you want to go? And you saying, not here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, oh, do you know what? I've got a rough idea. I want to go. I'm not going to use a sat nav though. What? People they, they can tell me how they don't want to feel. I can't create a strategy around that. You can't create a strategy around feeling like that or not feeling like that. So focus on how you want to feel and then ask yourself, what are you willing to do to feel like that? You can create emotions on demand if you know how. And I'm convinced that most people want to live more empowered, more positive lives. They just haven't been shown how. Which is kind of mad. And we're taught from an early age to, to focus on, we're told about 
our insecurities, our perceived imperfections and all of that. And, yeah. that, and that's what runs our whole paradigm, our whole life, our beliefs. Yeah. That's why most people are, that's why most people struggle because they can't the all they're focused on when they look in the mirror is what's wrong with them. So how long does it take if someone was to work with you and would give you forever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. It is actually it's not it's not it isn't just a one quick thing. It's no, you know, so, you know, Sonia, it's a, I got asked this off camera or off mic from the guys that produced my book, the guys at Harper Collins. There's a lady from Panorama. And a guy from ITV Newsline who helped me with my book. And they asked me, Paul, do you ever think you'd end up back on a cliff? And I said, yes. And they were very surprised. I said, yeah, I'd end up back there. No doubt about it. If I stop doing what I do now and I start doing what I did then, it would only be a matter of time. It's like someone loses weight and starts eating shit and not exercising again. Guess what? They're going to get fat. In fact, they're going to get fatter because they're no better. Often we didn't know better. So if I go back to doing what I did before and stopping doing what I do now and being who I am now, I'll 100% end up back where I was. So this is a forever job. It's not, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like again, mental health and physical health, hand in hand. Completely. I want to really, just finally really want to touch on something I read in your book that actually moved me quite a bit. So you've been with your wife since the age of 16 and she, she yeah. was 40, right? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that is phenomenal. What, yeah. what do you think it takes to make a <laughs> successful relationship? Given everything you guys have been through, given yeah. the fact that, you know, you went been through your ups, your massive downs, the alcohol, the drugs standing on a cliff. I mean, fucking hell, you've been through the works of that. I've done bits, I've done bits. You're still together. I mean, I don't know his wife, but she sounds like a phenomenal woman. She's a ledge. Yeah, she's a ledge. What would you say the secrets are to you guys? So the first thing is, and I'm not going to go down the whole trust and all that kind of thing. The first thing I'm going to say is you got to be very clear with your communication and agreements. Most people have expectations of their partner. And they're never clear on what those expectations are. So they end up with all these like misaligned expectations of each other. John, Dr. John would say yeah. they, have, they expect other people to live their values. So I don't expect her to live my values. She doesn't expect me to live hers. We kind of, even though we're in business together now, right? We're in business together now, which is crazy, but we have very yeah. separate values. Yeah, yeah. It works because we're, we're kind of, we're the opposite. She doesn't value the same. We have completely different personality profiles. So different. But she loves the shit that I hate. I love the shit. To sh- he hates being, she hates being the center of attention. I've got to quite literally bribe her to come on my podcast. Like, oh, I do I have to. <laughs> I do. I've got to bribe her to come on. She doesn't, like, she doesn't like being the center of attention. I do. So we're both okay with that. So we don't expect each other to live each other's values. And um, I own and I think we both own our traits I think like I own all of the negative things about me yeah. I own the neg- I, I own the she owns the negative things about her because relationships tend to amplify relationships tend to intensify you'll see the things that you haven't accepted in yourself in your partner but I've accepted all of that about me and she's accepted all of the things about her I think we call it in the personal development world they call it shadow work I think 
And how did you do, because I find that so difficult, because it's one thing, you, you know, you notice things in you and you go, oh, I really yeah. like that person because yeah. they're this, they're this, and it's like, oh, because they're like me. Yes. And then, then you don't like someone and you're not quite sure why, and it's all yeah. the traits that you actually don't like about yourself. Yeah. But yeah. you don't admit to yourself that you've got yeah. within you. Yeah. So for me, this is down to um, the work we've done on ourselves. We've never had any counseling. We've never had any coaching together. We've had separate coaches for separate things. Uh, Leslie has separate coaches to me. We're both in a mastermind for business, the same mastermind, but we're in different coaches in different aspects. So we all have, we've just worked on ourselves really. And is she quite into the personal development work? She is now, she is now, yeah. She used to be a lawyer, so she's from a corporate background. Um, but yeah, she's in the personal development just in a different way to me. Like she'll do, she might get coaching on confidence. I'm never going to need that coaching. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? She'll just get coaching on different things to me because she'll realize she has different strengths to me. She'll have, she's got different interests than me. Like right now she's doing an MBA. I've got fucking no interest in that. No interest in that whatsoever. She quite likes, she's, she quite likes the intellectual route. I couldn't give a fuck about that. She'll be doing, she has an HR coach. I've got no interest in HR. I've got no interest in managing people. So we both have, it's, we don't have separate lives, but we do have very different values and we're okay with it. I don't expect her to live my values. I don't expect her from me. She doesn't expect me from her. I think that's such an important point. And you made it this morning. I listened to you this morning and you said, if you're looking at somebody and you're, you're feeling angry and frustrated, it's because you're looking at yourself or you see yeah. yourself. And you're expecting you from them. Yeah. And yeah. that was, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And it's such a, um, I actually, before I came on here, I did a YouTube video, a longer one about the same subject. And I'm like, listen, so many people, they waste so much energy. They've ruined so many relationships. They feel like shit because they just expect them from everybody else. We expect everybody to have the same beliefs as us to like the same things as us, to value the same things as us, to behave the way that, you know, that old thing of, oh, you should treat people how you expect to be treated. Well, somebody's expectations of how you should treat someone could be very different to yours. You can't expect everybody to have the same opinions, the same thoughts, the same, all that shit. And that's why people struggle so much with energy. It actually really resonated with me because I had a conversation with somebody the other day and it upset me and I was trying to work out why does it upset me? Because I valued this person's opinion, I really did. Yeah. And it, and I realized it was because he wasn't giving me the answers that I wanted. Because yeah, he didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. Didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. And I thought he was putting me down. But when I thought that, it was like, no, it's just he he believes that way, and I believe yeah. this way, and it's two yeah. different beliefs. And if you ask for his opinion, he's giving you what you asked for, just not what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's an opinion, it's just not the one that you actually wanted. Yeah, does my bum look big in there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, have you thought about dieting much? Yeah. <laughs> Paul, look, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I just want to ask you, what is what's your next challenge? What's the next thing for Paul? Ooh, my, my biggest challenge right now is time, it always is. But I think my next challenge is uh, one is rehabbing this pec injury so I can get back to doing what I love exercise wise. I really miss it badly. Um, what do you get from jiu-jitsu? I, I mean, like, I, it looks... The hardest, cardio, the hardest cardio you'll ever do, without a shadow of a doubt, the hardest cardio you'll ever do. Uh, you learn how to kill people. Me neither. Hey, cardio. You learn how to defend yourself, kill people. The community's amazing. It's like violent... Some people call it violent chess. 
It's like a chess match. Yeah. Some people call it violent meditation. I call it violent meditation. Yeah. So I get, I get so much from it. I've met so many amazing friends, amazing people through it. Um, yeah, it's incredible. So that's my first, that's at the top of my, my mind right now, because uh, last week I bench pressed three kilos. So <laughs> the, the comeback is on. Yeah. It was a really bad tear. Like I've had full on surgery, yeah. Yeah, like massive, my, I've got a huge scar across there. Can you see yeah. it? Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So it was completely torn away from the tendon. Um, so it's a pretty, it's pretty bad injury. Um, and I haven't trained that way this year. So it's imagine I was taught, I've hired a PT to help me with just weight training. Cause I don't like weight training at all. I find it boring. So I hired a PT and he said, Paul, you got to understand that you've gone from, he said, I can't believe you haven't gained much weight because you've gone from, I was training five, six hours a mm -hmm. week and you're talking a thousand calories a session. That's how hard it is. So I've gone from doing that to kind of just walking and trying to fit some weight training in. Yeah, so, presumably you can't lift your arms up or do anything. I can. I've got quite a good range of movement. I just can't push at all. Like to the point where I can't, I really struggle. Do you know when ice cream's rock hard? I can't get ice cream out of the tub. It hurts. That's mad. So I did that last week. But my second thing is, is, is actually, I'll probably say two things. Two, grow my own podcast. I'm working on this thing. I love podcasting. I love talking to people. I love, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm lucky enough to have great contacts. But the big thing is this. women on your podcast, Paul. I do. I had my first woman on, apart from my wife, in, who did I have? I had my friend Courtney Black came on. Um, Courtney's fucking blown up right now. It's crazy. Um, we have the same agent. And, but the last thing is this thing in Newcastle. In basically, being able to help more people is my thing. So this, this gig, this show that I'm going to do at the Time Theatre is going to allow me to help more people. When When's that with you? I think it's the 29th of October. Friday the 29th of October. I know it's the Friday because my friend Chris Ramsey's doing the arena on Saturday. Is that in the old Tyneside Cinema? In the Tyne Theatre. The, the, my agent calls it the Opera House, but it's the Tyne Theatre. It's massive. Yeah. 13, 1,300 people. Because my biggest fear has shown up and there'll be no one there. I've never had that many people in the room. I'll ever. be there. I'll be there. You'll have one, you'll have one person in the room. <laughs> and there will be an after party. Yeah. Wow. No, that sounds fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Look, we've come to my last question. I don't want to carry on talking to you for ages. <laughs> um, my last question I always ask my guests this is if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, mm -hmm. what would that message be? Yeah, this is. <laughs> you could have fucking prepped me for this one. Wow. You know, what? <laughs> you know what I'm okay with? You know what I'm okay with? If you ask me this in another week, I'll probably give you a different answer. Isn't that mad? Isn't that mad? Um, I would go with one sentence and it would be, don't believe everything you think. That's probably what I'd go with. Nothing. Paul, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday, so hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.